Good morning, church. It is good to be with everybody again today. It has just been a powerful time of worship, of seeing how the house churches have gathered in different ways to see how people, whether virtually or physically, have been able to meet, pray, get with one another. I want to continue to see God work in this way. Uh, we're This is our last week in this series. We've talked about our church values. We've talked about the church outcomes from those values today. Uh, we're gonna talk about the church's mission. And this is something, again, that we just need a refresher on every year at least to remember the mission of the church. You know, the, the thing about the mission of the church is this, that's so important. Uh, we do not have a mission statement as a church. And the reason why we don't have a mission statement is because the mission statement and scripture for the church is clear. We don't need one. God already gave us one. When Jesus ascended, right before he ascended, he gave us the church's mission statement. We're gonna read it a little later. And, but it's, it's important for us to remember the mission of God. And we're gonna do that today through one of my favorite parables uh, in scripture when it talks, talking about mission. And it's in Luke chapter 15, verses one to seven. It's uh, commonly called the parable of the lost sheep. So you can read it along with me and then we're gonna talk about it. In Luke chapter 15, verse one, it starts off with this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. First off, I wanna talk about where we see Jesus. Where, where do you find Jesus a lot of time in his ministry? And you find him around the sinners. You find him here uh, around the worst of the worst. It says in verse one, now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. These were the, the people that Jesus attracted towards him. The tax collectors, these were, these were the worst of the worst. These were traitors to society. People hated them. You know, if you, the, the tax collecting system was a farming system in the Roman Empire where they would sell these contracts to these tax collectors, usually to native people. So these would be Jewish people that would uh, bid on a tax contract from the Roman Empire. They would buy it. And then they had the full weight of the Roman Empire behind them to collect as much tax as they wanted to pay off what they paid and then make some extra for themselves. So these people were essentially considered traitors. They were working with the empire against their own people and they were all shady. They all took extra money more than they were supposed to. They were the worst of the worst. It is tax collectors and sinners. So you know where they stand. These are the people uh, that they were uh, put in place with. And when we talk about sinners, we're talking about 
prostitutes. We're talking about people that were seen as unclean, shunned people. The, the people that as the, the scribes and the Pharisees would walk through, they would step aside from these people. They didn't want to be seen in the same room, in the same house. They didn't want to be next to these people because they thought even if they were seen accidentally in the presence of a sinner, it would be damaging to them. It would be damaging to their reputation. These were the, the lower class people, the ones that Honestly, the Pharisee scribes, they just blatantly look down on these people. Yet these are the people that Jesus attracted. These are the people that when they heard his message, they heard what he was doing, they came around him. These are the people that Jesus wanted to be around. Jesus had said in the very beginning, those who are well have no need of a physician. It is those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus knew his calling. He knew his mission. He knew what he was here on earth to do. And that was to bring salvation to the lost. And so what he did, what he said, what he talked about, it drew the people that needed to hear those messages. And the people that didn't, the people that thought they were fine, the people that didn't need a savior, didn't need a physician, those weren't the people that felt like they needed to be around him. Those weren't the people that Jesus was aiming towards. That wasn't his target audience. Those weren't the people he was looking for. He was looking for the sinner. And I think yet yeah, a sad reality of the church today is we sit more in the seat of the scribe and the Pharisee than we do in the seat of Jesus when it comes to mission. That we no longer feel comfortable around the lost. If somebody curses around us, what happens? We, we, oh, you can't do that around me. I'm a Christian. Don't do that. If, if somebody does something that, you know, just goes against our moral ethic, we think, well, I can't be friends with you anymore. We're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna occupy the same space. We look at people that are different from us, people that we would say that are sinners, and instead of having a message of hope and salvation and love towards them, we have the message of the Pharisee, which is condemnation, which is self-righteousness, which is pride. And so there's no wonder why sinners don't want to be around us as Christians and the church anymore, because all they see and all they feel is the condemnation and the hate of the Pharisee. They don't feel the hope and the love and the, and the salvation of Jesus. If they felt that, then what would happen? The sinner would love to be around us, because that's the message that they are looking for. The sick know that they need a physician, but they are not finding physicians in the church. They are finding judges. And that's not what Jesus said he came to do. He did not come to condemn the world. He came instead to save it. And so our church, the first thing that we need to learn here is that sinners loved to be around Jesus. Now, PSA, there's a reason why they love to be around Jesus. It wasn't because he was partaking in sin with them, right? Some of us, we think like, yeah, sinners love to be around me because I'm just a sinner like them. That wasn't why sinners like to be around Jesus. Sinners love to be around Jesus because they saw something in him that they were hungry for. They saw something in Jesus that made them hopeful for their life again, made them think like maybe there is something for me. Maybe there is hope for me. Maybe I, I don't have to live the life that I've lived. If you look at the people that Jesus healed, the lepers, the, the, the woman who had the issue of blood for her whole life almost that was 
considered unclean couldn't be around people. The lepers who were not even allowed into the cities to the demon-possessed man who was chained up on the outskirts of the town. These are the people that Jesus was around. Zacchaeus, who was too short to be around him, that a, a tax collector himself that had to climb a tree. And Jesus stopped under that tree and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to hang out with you. And these guys are like, don't you know who this is? Or when the prostitute weeps at the feet of Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes, they look at that and they say, teacher, don't you know who this woman is? If you knew, you wouldn't let her touch you. But no, these are the, the places that Jesus is most comfortable. These are the people that are most comfortable around Jesus. Why? Because condemnation was not amplified around him. Hope and healing was amplified around him. And so if we do not find that sinners are drawn to us, we have to ask ourselves, are we the Pharisee or are we Jesus? Are we bringing, are we in the world to bring condemnation, to bring judgment, or have we come to the world with hope and with salvation? Because if we do, then the sinner would love to be around us. I, I, to tell you the truth, you know, uh, you could, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing to say as a pastor, but I love when people curse around me. I love the sound of a fresh curse off of someone's lip. Why? Because it tells me that I'm walking the ways of Jesus. That when people feel, knowing that I'm a pastor, knowing my life, I mean, there's really nobody in my life that doesn't know I'm a Christian or doesn't know I'm a pastor, yet they still curse around me. They, they live their, their life. I, I, I realize like, man, I am walking in the way of Jesus right now. And, you know, I, you know, I love it when they're like, oh, I'm sorry, or, you know, it just slipped out. I'm like, no, don't worry. Be you. Like, my job is not to condemn that. My job is just to keep showing you the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. And I, I want people around me. I want to draw people that are sinful. Why? Because they see the hope of Christ, the hope of glory in me that is Jesus Christ. That is who Jesus calls us to be, the, the, the replica that we are supposed to be. But the, the Pharisees and the scribes, when they see the sinners, when they see the tax collectors around him, they grumble. They were upset. Jesus, how could you? This is what they say. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Like, they spit. Like, who, who is this? This is disgusting. They are, they are literally upset. They are grumbling about it. They couldn't believe that Jesus would sit down with these people. If there are people that you think you would feel uncomfortable sitting down with, or if there are people that you would have deemed unclean, if there are people that other Christians would look at with a picture on Instagram, if you're with them and think, man, what is that person doing with him? Or what is that person doing with her? Then realize this. Those are the people that you are supposed to be with. The very people that the religious will condemn you to be around, those are the people that Jesus, if he were around today, would be hanging out with at their house, would be hanging out with at a restaurant and eating dinner with. Those are the people that we are supposed to be. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees and he tells them this story, this parable. He wants them to understand why is he doing what he is doing? And so he, he says this parable to them that we just read, that what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it. Right? He, 
this agrarian society, they understand the concept of sheep. You know, what, what is our, I don't know, think if you had like a hundred, hundred dollar bills, you had a hundred Benjamins in your house and you lost one of those Benjamins, you know, what are you going to do? You are going to go look for that Benjamin around the house, right? If, he says, if you lose one of these things, if you lose one of these sheep, what are you going to go do? This is the heart of God. This is what Jesus is trying to get across, that God cares deeply for the lost. And if we are to have the heart that God has, that means that we as his people need to care deeply for the lost. This should be the pervading thing that we th think about, the pervading thing we pray about, the pervading thing that we want to do, the thing that overwhelms us, that consumes us, that when we pray, we cry out, God, bring us to the lost, that they would come into our church, that we would preach the gospel to them, that you would open up a door for our friends, for our family, for our co-workers, because we understand the preciousness of every single person that is alive today. Jesus came for the lost. See, the, the thing that is twisted about right now is that everybody keeps talking about gathering. And the, the priority is around, man, uh, when are we going to gather? How are we going to gather? But I haven't heard a word about how much more important it is to share the gospel with your neighbor during this time than it is to gather. Why? What does Jesus say here? What does he love? More than 99 righteous people, 99 worshiping him, 99 gathered on a Sunday, 99 in the assembly, 99 in a church service. What does he love more than the church gathered together as righteous? He loves that one person who is lost, who is now found. That's what he loves. And so when we think about what we have been talking about, if we have been talking about gathering more often than we have been talking about the lost, then our priority is wrong. If we have talked about gathering 99 more times than we've talked about the lost, then we need to talk about the lost 99 more times than we're talking about gathering because that is the priority. That is the heart of God. That is the mission that we are on. Our mission is not how and when and where we gather on Sunday. Our mission is the lost. Our mission is the people who are far from God, the sinner and the tax collector, the people who are broken, who are hurting, who are sick, who are in need of a healer, who recognize that they are hopeless and need the hope of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at our priorities right now, we have to look, a, look in, in, inwardly as a church and as a people and ask, where have our conversations been? Because I can tell you across the board, I have heard a lot more conversations about what it will look like for the 99 righteous to be together rather than what it would look like to reach the lost who are hurting right now, probably more than ever. Right, God can get over us not having huge crowds on Sunday. That's not hard. The church started as a house church movement for the first couple of hundred years. What he won't get over is our preoccupation with ourselves and us missing the loss. That's what he won't get over when we're so consumed with what is what we want and what we want to have and what is good for us. That is the thing that he won't get over. 
When we are so preoccupied with what we want and how we will gather and how we will sing and what that looks like, and we aren't preoccupied with what the lost person who is in the building next to us or in the apartment above us or the person that we walk by every single day when we go to the store or we go to get our groceries, that is what he won't get over. Because at that point, then we have realized that we have lost the heart of God. We have lost the entire mission of the church. We have lost what this whole thing is about. What is better than the 99 righteous? It is just one person finding Jesus. Do you know it would be better than us being able to have a Sunday service every single week for the last eight months? If because of this, just one person came to know Jesus, that means that this whole thing is a celebration, no matter what it has inconvenienced us about. And let me tell you, right now, we have queued up six baptisms. Six baptisms, six people who have come to know Jesus during this time in our church, six people who were preached the gospel to, six people who we are going to celebrate together and throw a party for. Six people, that means that it was better than 600 people gathering on a regular basis. According to the math and the logic of Jesus, it is worth it, church. I don't care what the cost is. If we can fulfill the mission in a better way, do you know that in 2019, when we were meeting every single week in our building, that in 2019, we had one baptism. But in the last eight months, we have had a 600% increase in baptisms because we have been displaced. That is cause for celebration. That makes me look at everything that has happened and say, praise you, God, thank you, Jesus, I want more. If hardship is what it takes, then I'll take it. If, 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 if it means being displaced, then displace me again. If that is what it takes for our church to be on mission, to really get on our knees and pray for the lost and say, God, let us forget everything else that we are doing. If you would only give us this one thing, then I would say, God, do it again. Even though, yes, I would love a building, I would say never give us one again if it means that we go back to the old ways where we would be happy gathering and singing as righteous people every week, not realizing that the lost aren't comfortable among us. Never again do I wanna go back to that. See, this is what we're supposed to do to have the heart of God, to pray over our conversations, that God would give us an open door when we meet with people that don't know God to pray, God, I pray that I would plant another seed somehow. Lord, I pray that they would ask me a question. I pray that you would open a door for me to share my testimony, that you would open a door for me to preach the gospel. Do you know that when you verbally preach the gospel, when you proclaim the good news, that is the power unto salvation. When you proclaim, when you use your mouth to open it, to share the testimony of what God has done in your life, that is sharing the gospel. And guess what? 
It is up to God to perform the miracle of salvation. That's not on you. The gospel has its own power. You don't need the power. You don't need to work up the sign and wonder like we talked about last week. That is an outcome that is on God. As long as we follow what he has called us to do, it is our responsibility to be on mission, to preach, to pray, and to serve the lost. So church, we cannot forget this. We cannot forget the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verses 16 to 20. His last words to his disciples in the book and the gospel of Matthew, before he ascends, he says this. This is, the, this is our mission, church. This is what we live for. This is what we eat, sleep, and breathe. This is what the point of our church is. If we don't get this right, the whole point of everything we do is nothing. We need to remember that. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It does not get more clear than this. Jesus is very clear I'm giving you one command. This is what you are supposed to do. This is what the church is supposed to do. This is what you are called to do. This is your calling in life. Stop praying about it. Stop wondering about it. Stop thinking about it. Know that you have received your calling. You have received your life mission right now. And that is to go and make disciples. To search out that lost sheep. To share the good news of Jesus to see the power of God rip through their life, change their life to them to be devoted to God and to disciple them, to teach them the ways of God. Baptizing them. And in that, Jesus makes this promise that when we do his mission, he will always be with us to the end of the age. There is nowhere we can go. There is nothing that anybody can do to us. There is nothing that anybody can say. No amount of rejection, no amount of pain, nothing that can happen. As long as we are fulfilling the mission of God, Jesus is with us in everything that we do. It is his promise to us. It is a promise that we can stand firm on. It is a promise that we can live on, that we can bank on, because we know that he is not a man that he should lie, but what he says is true. It is a solid foundation. How can we participate in this during this time? Let's stop thinking about ourselves. Let's stop thinking about our preferences. And let's start thinking about the lost. How can I even share this with my friends who may be unsaved, my family are unsaved? This is, this is a video, this is a great time. Maybe the family that you've been with, if you, if you haven't been social distancing with your family, invite them over. Say, come watch the word with me, watch worship with me. Let's discuss it afterwards, let's talk. Maybe have a time where you share with your family a testimony, pray over gatherings, pray over your friendships and ask God, give me an open door, give me a window. Put up on your board the names of the people that you are praying for. Write a list. Pray over them when you wake up, before you go to sleep. Have them present their faces in your mind as you pray. Allow yourself to be consumed with the mission that God has called us to be consumed with. Now more than ever, we have to have eyes to see the sheep who have wandered off. 
And I think during this time, something that I've seen is just our, our greatest vices have run wild. The things that we have been dealing with, it is in, in loneliness and in isolation, what happens is those demons come back to haunt us. And there are so many Christian, non-Christian, whatever, there are, there are Christians that are struggling, that have, that have fallen like that sheep away that they need someone to come and get them. And there are people that are just, that have kind of made a dive or maybe they were holding on before. But amidst all of this, all of those things have come to the surface. Church, the harvest is ripe. It is ready. This is a time to share the gospel more than ever when literally death is present all around us. Where it is not a theoretical thing anymore that people think, oh, maybe one day this has happened. It is a present reality. Every single time you see somebody with a mask, it is a reality that death is present among us. That's why we do this. That's why we are acting the way this, why everything that happened because it is present. And while it has been present, we have been faced with the most isolation, with the most vulnerability that we've ever been faced in a lifetime before. People need the great physician more than they've ever needed. They need hope that goes beyond their circumstance. We need hope that goes beyond what the world is telling us, what we'll see on the news, what we'll see in politics, what we'll read on social media. We need a hope that is a solid foundation that when we find it, that it is greater than anything else that we have found. And so now is the time. There are two people that you can pray for. You can think about the person that you haven't seen in church in a while. Maybe you haven't seen them on Zoom. Maybe they haven't participated in your house church. Begin to pray for them and reach out for them. God wants to use you to be on mission, to plant a seed in their heart. Maybe there's that friend or person that you know, coworker, that you've just had deeper conversations with. There, there's a possibility for that. Begin to pray over their name and ask God, give me an open door and an open window. It is God's heart to see his children come to know him. We don't have to wonder if that's his will. It is the mission that he gave us to go and preach the good news to everyone. This is what we are supposed to do day in and day out. This is the mission of our church. This is the point of what we do. We don't gather to gather for gathering's sake. We do it so that we can bring the lost to come to know Jesus, to have the hope that has been our solid rock and our foundation. Yes, this time has been difficult. But this is a time that I guarantee as you begin to participate in the mission, you will find hope like you've never found. You will find that Jesus is with you in ways that you never imagined. And your house church, I want you to talk about this. I want you to think about who has not come. Reach out to that person. If you are struggling, let your house church know, this is what I've been struggling with. I had an incredible conversation two weeks ago at our house church where several of us confessed about the struggle that we've had to gather and why we haven't been gathering, what's been hard about gathering. And you know what? I, the, the presence of God was there among us. Talk about what has been difficult. If there are ways that, that you can say like, this is how you know I'm slipping and this is what you can do. Talk about that. Talk about how you can be praying for those that haven't been around. 
The enemy wants to use this time to devour those who have been isolated, who have been alone. He is, the scripture says, like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Lions, they look for the people that have been separated from the pack. Those are the animals that they go after. He is looking for the ones that have been separated and he is looking to devour them. And it is our job to be on mission. And I pray right now, God, give us eyes to see the one that the enemy has been prowling after, the one that he has been scoping out. Lord, that we would be on mission, that we wouldn't be so preoccupied with our own wants and our own desires and the gathering of the righteous that we have forgotten and missed what we have been called to do from the very beginning to seek and save the lost. Father, give us eyes to see. Correct us where we need correcting. Redirect us where we need redirecting. That we would remember this is the mission. This is what we are called to do. This is our purpose. And that you would reignite, Lord, just the fire in our hearts to share the thing that has so beautifully changed our life, to share, to change others' lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.